on the 9th of December 1998 in Utah, a 17-year-old boy high on meth walks into his grandmother's home, where his mother, sister, girlfriend and his five-day-old son were present. He shoots his girlfriend five times, striking her in the head and arm, killing her. He then shoots his own mother in the back and arm. She survived. He fires at his sister. He proceeds to shoot himself in the head. The bullet lodges in his frontal lobe of his brain and he survives. On the 11th of September 2014, then aged 33, this same man is arrested for murder, rape and cannibalism of an ex-girlfriend. This is the case of Joseph Oberhansley. This is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So what have you got for us today on this sunny, sunny Saturday? Probably someone dying. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, we usually name a case after the victim. After all, they're the ones that are important. But the final victim of this guy is a very well-known case. Um, and I didn't remember anything about him, which is how it should be. But I also didn't know this guy's extensive criminal background when I started, which got me wondering with this one, could the final murder have not happened? Could he have been stopped? Should he have been stopped? So let's go back to the beginning. Seems Oberhansley didn't have a great childhood. A half-brother committed suicide... His father died of a suspicious overdose and then he descended into his own drug addiction. So when he was 17, he shot his girlfriend, who was named Sabrina, who was also 17. And she was the mother of his child, who was only five days old at the time. He shot his own mother twice after she threw herself on top of Sabrina to try and protect her. His mother subsequently forgave him. Mother's love. Yeah. He fired the gun at his sister, too, who was running away carrying that damn baby. Why that damn baby? What? It's it, it just... He hasn't, uh, that it, child hadn't done anything wrong yet. No, the child never does anything wrong. Um, but according to relatives, he was jealous that his grandmother and his mother seemed to favour his girlfriend over him. And he also thought the child wasn't his either. What's wrong with the DNA test? I do not know, but he didn't. Yeah, we said it was 1998. I don't know how common paternal DNA tests would have even been. Probably or, not, to or, be fair. And to be, he was, what, 17? Yeah. He wouldn't have been able to afford it, probably. He's got a five-day-old child. So as I said, he shot himself in the head. According to reports, he spent three weeks in a coma and a psychiatrist said that he'd given himself a partial lobotomy, but the bullet remained in his frontal lobe. Did they don't like to move these things. Now, the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that controls emotions, personality, decision... We can say decision-making. That's the one. And self-control. This That's the part of the brain that I've mentioned before that isn't fully formed until you're 25, I think. Or 24, 25-ish. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people at a young age make sort of rash decisions. That's why something like CTE is a really big issue with especially young American football players and like athletes and stuff. Um, do, you know, do you know you can actually get CTE from riding a jet ski? How? Because the constant bouncing in the waves, on the oh, waves, on the, yeah. on the that's on the bike, it's not bike, it's on the water. Um, yeah, that that rattles your brain case and it causes your brain to slosh yeah. about. So doctors have found people that have forms of like low levels of forms of CTE, and it's from they ask, what do you do as a sport? And they say, I ride jet skis or water ski kind of thing. It's from that. Football players get it. Um, well, yeah, I know that from heading the ball. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's going to be bubble wrap for all of us. Injuries to that portion of the brain are also commonly associated with disinhibited behaviour 
again, bad decision making and a disinterest in long-term consequences. Um, it's super common with combat sports. So things like Mike Tyson, when he became heavyweight champion mm. at such a young age, constantly getting hit in the head. Mm. Everything you said there would almost describe them. Someone like uh, John Jones, uh, one of the light heavyweight champions up until recently, he's the exact same thing. He's just sort of made rash, stupid decisions. Yeah. And it, you, as people get older, you think to yourself, well, they shouldn't be doing that anymore. Why are they doing it? But you're not putting together the possible brain injury. I mean, this fella's got a literal bullet in his brain, so... Yeah. Have you ever heard of tree panning? Tree panning? Yes. The only panning I can think is when they sort of sieve gold out of mud. Yeah, no. There's anything I can think of. Well, I remember hearing this term and researching um, lobotomies got me into this. It's basically, it's the prehistoric method of a lobotomy. Um, it's perhaps the oldest surgical procedure. Is it, is it the thing up the nose? No, they drill holes in the skull, take a portion of the skull out, or they just drill a hole in the skull. It's basically, it was, there's evidence um, they found for 6,000 years going back. They thought that if they drilled a hole in the skull, it would let bad spirits out, release the pressure. And it led to all sorts of research over the years, blah, blah, blah. And they then came up with lobotomies. Um, which didn't always go according to plan. Um, actually, in 2000, as that short time ago, two men from Cedar City, Utah, were prosecuted for practising medicine without a licence after they performed trepanation on an English woman to treat her chronic fatigue syndrome and depression. So, yeah. Famous lobotomies. Rosemary Kennedy. You won't know who she is. But she was the sister of JFK. That's me, not you, the listener, by the way. Yeah. She was looking at me when she said that. I don't know who it is. Yeah. She underwent, it was actually quite a famous case. She underwent a lobotomy in 1941. And that actually left her completely incapacitated and institutionalised for the rest of her life. It's also been said that from examining x-rays of Ava Perón, who was the leader of Argentina, don't cry for me, Argentina, and you're looking at me blankly again, Cameron, but... Listeners will know it. I'm 24. Yeah. I don't... Who? Ava Perron. Yeah. And they concluded she underwent a lobotomy for treatment of pain and anxiety in the last months of her life. But back to Joseph Oberhansley. Now, he pled guilty to manslaughter in 2000 and attempted homicide. And the plea deal he accepted was one to 15 years. So he'd killed his girlfriend, shot his mother, shot at his sister and his child... And he got one to 15 years because he was a 17-year-old. Fair enough. He served 12. Didn't Yeah, the signs of this decision-making are starting to come to the fore. He decided to get a prison tattoo, murderous deeds. And this was reported by relatives to authorities. Where was it? It just, it just says on his body. Okay. Um, apparently the authorities just shrugged it off. It's a prison tattoo. It's not illegal, but with the partial lobotomy, you're starting to think something maybe, somebody ought to watch him a bit closer. He comes up for parole and he tells the parole board that he thinks the bullet in his brain calmed him. His mother supported him, as we said, and told the parole board that he'd had a tattoo of his first victim, his girlfriend, done as a memorial. He blamed the drugs, his youth and the death of his half-brother and his father for his behaviour. Other relatives said he was a monster and warned that he should remain locked up. His own what has re- he possibly done that would make you come to that conclusion? Mm. Shooting at his five-day-old child, his girlfriend, and 
kind of through his mother. Well, his own relatives, they adopted his infant son and they said he'd become obsessive. They changed the child's name because they felt it was unfair to the boy to be named after the man who killed his mother. So he was called like Joseph Jr. Um, Apparently, Oberhansley sent letters demanding photographs and called the boy Baby J, despite knowing they changed his name. And they also believed he'd sent someone to take pictures of the child and he wrote to them things like, looks like he's starting to get pretty big. And this is the baby he didn't want, remember, and he didn't think was his. Again, it's odd. Now, even one of the parole board members is out there quoted as having said, you would have thought he was talking about killing a dog. He was that unaffected by it all. When describing killing his girlfriend? Yeah. Okay, so I know you're saying, so he shot his, at, at his family and then he shot himself in the head mm-hmm. and he survived. He, mm-hmm. tank, he tanked it, if you like. Was there any sort of psychological profile done on him prior to this? Because clearly going to these lengths to shoot at his girlfriend and child, that doesn't make any sense. If he'd said he'd already had the bullet in his head and then he did these things, it would make sense. But what was wrong with him beforehand for that to happen? Apart from him thinking it wasn't his, but I don't think that's a justifiable response. He's, he's, he's blaming the meth, the fact his half-brother killed himself, the fact that his father died in suspicious circumstances, and the fact he was only 17, and he's claiming as well the bullet in his brain... You know, it, it can't you can't equate me now with a bullet in my brain to how I was before that. That is a fair defence, though, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, but it also got me wondering about what a bullet lodged in the body would do over time, especially when you think that this bullet was in his brain. And how would they deal with it in prison? Don't they have metal detectors in prison? I know if you've got like a pacemaker, you can't go through airport body scanners because they can do things to the 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 pacemaker but it made me i'm thinking mri scans uh, here well, you know yeah well it's it's things like um, people that don't know if they've been in an accident in car wrecks and stuff and they have shrapnel in them that they weren't ever aware later on have an mri and the mri then just boom, just sucks it out of them and they yeah. like, get a massive injury but in the actual prison i don't think they'd have any metal detectors it's only if you have a visit people go through that kind of stuff and then the prisoner has their search on their side but you won't have an actual metal detector inside it there's a guy um rafael Rowe. he's got a uh, tv series on uh, Netflix TV series. You know what I mean? He's got a series on Netflix. It's inside the world stuff. It's prisons. I have not seen a single metal detector inside any of them throughout the actual prison because I think that's too much. They'll do stuff like take bolts out of seats and file them down so they can stab them. But yeah, there's a slight little plug to his um, Netflix show. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. I know you've got Netflix now. You finally... Fuck. <laughs> right, for people that don't know, I've had to pause and replay about eight times because I've sneezed, I've coughed, I've like my eyes are watering, I'm dying and I don't know why. Yes, there's a slight plug to Raphael Rose's Netflix series, World Stuff is Prison. Um, you've got Netflix. You've entered the 21st century now. It's good. It's a really good series. Um, he was falsely in prison for a crime he didn't commit. People said, oh, I think it was this, fam- this household that had, this household that had um, three black people inside it, these three black men, and they just blamed them, and the police just fit the crime to them, and they got sent to prison for like eight years in the UK. I may well look at that then, because I'm starting to run dry of documentaries and series. Well, that's, that's his story, but because of that, he subsequently spent, the, the, I, think, I think it was like 8 to 12 years, he spent a long time in prison. Yeah, he was wrongfully convicted in 1990 for uh, a 1988 murder of aggravated robberies and stuff, so... Oh. Um, but yeah, from that, he went on to do this show. I know this is, this is nothing to do with this case, but it was... But you're talking about metal detectors Metal detectors, yeah. I haven't seen one. What's the yeah. story of that? Let's talk about why leaving a bullet in a body is dangerous for those of us that are in the dark. Lead poisoning. 
Uh, I'm going to give you some scientific figures here. Having 60 micrograms of lead per deciliter of blood used to be the cutoff for what was considered to be safe. In 1971, that fell to 40, and then to 20, and then to 10, then to 5 as of 2015. So originally 60 was fine, but we're at 5 now. So there's a hang of a difference. But at high level, higher levels of 80, which is severe poisoning, almost 5% of people had retained bullets. Many other people carrying around lead had lower levels in their blood and be suffering mild cognitive impairments and that can go on for absolutely forever and completely undiagnosed. I mean, it might have something to do with him having a bullet in his head, which is yeah. literally leaking into his brain jelly. But I don't know if it's someone gets shot in the leg and the bullet gets kept there if it has the same effect because it, it might it would, be localized to the area i don't know yeah but it would then leach you would have thought leached into the bloodstream which is how they would then be able to measure it well, it's crazy that they used to put lead in paint oh yeah children used to it, eat it. it literally children's paint i know yeah. that's why an insult was did you have lead paint in your did nursery you used to, did you used to lick chew your cop yeah 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 did you lick, go and lick the walls that was arsenic in wallpaper as well that's a whole other well yeah anyway symptoms of lead poisoning May include... I was just about to ask that. That was convenient. Yeah. It's almost like that was planned. <laughs> Abdominal pain, constipation, headaches, irritability, memory problems, infertility, and a tingling in the hands and feet. I have about f- four of those at least. <laughs> it causes almost 10% of intellectual disability of otherwise unknown cause and can result in behavioural problems. So does that mean if you say you scored a... Arbitrary figures, 100 on an IQ score, you'd score 10% lower as a result of the yeah. lead. Okay. Yeah. In severe cases, you'll get anemia, seizures, coma or death. Now, suicide-related gunshot wounds to the head are associated with a very high mortality rate, fairly obviously, and severe disability in the few that survive. There's a greater chance of death and a poorer outcome for victims with TBIs caused by self-inflicted gunshot wounds compared to victims injured by gunshot wounds that were accidental. So if someone shoots you, you've got yeah, there's better Yeah, there's a big difference between having a gun in your mouth pointing to the top of your brain versus someone accidentally grazes the side of your head or something. There's a, there's, there's a big difference. Is there any stat or figure on what the gun used most is for someone trying to shoot themselves on the head? Because from what I was here, the trope is a shotgun, and the people that survive then have the, the only facial figures, reconstruction. The only figures I've got are firearms, purely and simply, it's just firearms. Yeah, Co- just a, a, yeah. A According to the CDC in 2010, firearms were used in nearly 44% of suicide deaths among persons under the age of 25. Hmm. And in 2012, firearms were the most commonly used method of suicide amongst males with, at 56%. Hmm. Because it's, it's final, isn't it? You you don't expect to come back from a gunshot to the head. No, most of the time, not anyway. No. It's crazy what the human body can... So, sometimes you you bang your head on a banister and you're dead. And that's it. Yeah. Your time's up. And then sometimes you have people falling out of 10-storey buildings, just kind of getting up. Some people shoot themselves in the head and are completely fine. Do you hear about the story about a man that was shot in the back of the head by his wife when he was asleep? And yes. He, and he didn't die, and he yes. just had a really bad headache for a couple of days. Yes. Went to the doctors, and they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I remember that one. So how can that happen? But I can fall off a curb and just explode. Yeah, but it's, it's like when they, they a pathologist will rule someone's death as suicide, and it's a gunshot in the back of the head, which yeah, is a case got that shot, we... Yeah, he got shot in the back of the head twice. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to Joseph Oberhansley, um, 
drug use. After all he'd said and done, he actually only ever admits to some weed use and maybe a little meth. Now I'm not just a sh- little bit of meth. I'm not sure you can do a little bit of meth. And just a little bit pregnant. Yeah. yeah I, I would have hoped you would have been able to get clean in prison, but my guess is probably not. It's you, well yeah. again, I don't know the prison, but drug. The drug trade is quite large in prison. Yeah. Now, I've never watched Breaking Bad, so I know nothing apart from what I remember hearing about crystal meth when I was younger. Not uh, Breaking Bad isn't some huge authority on the matter. It is, it is also a fictional television show. Yeah, but there's a huge amount of scientific... Well, yeah, because um, he's a chemist and they cook meth and they... But as we've discussed before, you can only go so far with showing these things on TV because... Yeah, I, I think they intentionally misrepresent it because if this this is how you cook meth or this is how cocaine is made, people go, oh, fuck. And then, yeah. and then they go, you think some idiot might do it and, yeah. Right, so crystal meth, it's the common name for crystal methamphetamine. A strong and highly addictive drug, it affects the central nervous system and there's no legal use for it. That's crystal meth. Um... It's also known as ice or glass, apparently. Yeah. Um, it's because when it's... I mean, this is from Breaking Bad. When it's cooking like a sheet, imagine on a baking tray, it looks like it's just glass yeah. and the, uh, or crystal. Uh, well, I, 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 obviously I've seen shows and I've seen stuff. I cr- Crack pipe, you know, meth pipe. But apparently with this stuff, you can swallow it, snort it or inject it into a vein. Yeah. And you get a quick buzz off it, apparently. Yeah, so I think... I'm stupid enough on a glass of wine, so... I, th- I think... Again, I could, I could be getting my drugs mixed up, but that's that's that trope with the spoon. They have like a little little, little bottle of crack, and they heat it, mm. they heat it up with a a um a lighter underneath. It boils the, the the drugs down, and then they use a needle to extract the fluid, and that's what mm. they then inject themselves. And that's why a lot. A lot that's heroin as well. They do the same thing do to it as well. It, there might be heroin. I might just be completely mixing my drugs up. I've, well, we'll show I mean, again, I don't I don't do much. No. I don't do much meth, so I don't know. No, well. Crystal meth is made with pseudoephedrine, which is found in many cold medicines, helps ease congestion. And because it's used to make meth, the feds in the States the cl- feds. Feds, closely regulate products with this ingredient, which explained my confusion when I saw someone online saying they could only buy one pack of pseudofed at any one time. It, that, that, again, that literally happens in Breaking Bad, where they, they go, f- they, they cycle from store to store to store and buy as many as they can at a time. Yeah. I... They buy like 500 boxes of... Now, methamphetamine, however, is a man-made stim- stimulant. It's been around for a long time. 1893, Japanese chemist invented it. During World War II, soldiers were given meth to keep them awake. You also take the drug to lose weight and ease depression. It's because it's such a stimulant, you don't stop moving. So you can you... actually still get this stuff prescribed. Yeah, no, no, it's ADHD medication. Yeah. It's not it's not methamphetamines, but it's it's anamphetamine. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 rarely used and only available by prescription in some countries. Germany, for a, for example, you can't get it prescribed in Germany. Hmm. So back to the case. Authorities in the parole board didn't listen to any of the warnings and let Oberhansley out. So he's now on parole in Utah, but he moves to Southern Indiana. He's twenty nine at this point, right? He was 17, had 12 years in prison, so he's 29 to 30, yeah. kind of age. Right. Yeah. I wondered if he'd just hopped over the border, you know, done a runner kind of thing, but it seems that there was a reciprocal agreement to monitor parolees, so it was all actually approved. He was, you know, yep, bye, off you go. So he's in Clark County, southern Indiana, and around 4am on March the 10th, 2013, 
Jeffersonville police responded to uh, a call on a, a bar. They were greeted by a woman screaming, he's killing my boyfriend. The he, the woman we're referring to, was Joseph Oberhansley. And the police saw him, he was naked and choking another man. I mean, the guy was almost unconscious. They shouted at Oberhansley to release him and he refused to obey orders, didn't lay on the ground or anything like that. So they tased him twice and they handcuffed him. On the way to the jail, Oberhansley told the police that the woman had tried to rob him and he was the one that was in fear for his life. Didn't also explain why he was stark bollock naked, but there you go. Why not? You're on meth, you're hyped up, just got out of prison. Yeah. Do some meth, get naked. Come on. Yeah, well, the guy had been throttled and the guy's girlfriend, they, they, they said different things. And obviously, Joseph Oberhansley came out with something else. The woman said that Oberhansley had followed her home from the bar and he said the woman had invited him. So the police had... They've got evidence because they saw him strangling this bloke and he resisted, you know, a lawful order to let go and all that. So they they kept him for a, a day and they released him from jail three days later on bond. He wasn't formally charged until July 2013. But Indiana statute allows the, uh, the prosecution up to a year after an arrest to file charges. So you get arrested and you could be in limbo for a whole year. Which, but if they don't do anything within a year, you after a year, you the, yeah, you're, you're like haha, you're, yeah, but you you you've got Psych. to be a, yeah. If a person is held in custody, however, the prosecution must file charges within seventy two hours, but it doesn't include weekends. Oh. Seventy two hours of working days. Yeah, it's kind of, oh, that's kind of shit because you could get in there on Friday, well, you could get in on Wednesday, and not be out till the following Monday, and technically it's only seventy two hours. That sucks. Yeah. So the information about this arrest never made it back to the parole board. Somebody dropped the ball and possibly things could have come out differently if somebody had known. So exactly one year after this, after he was charged, Oberhansley was arrested again. His parole actually expired from his first conviction one day later. So he's off parole and he gets... Technically, yeah. Yeah. So one day, sorry, he's, 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 yeah. So on July the 21st, 2014, police say that Joseph Oberhansley led officers on a multi-state pursuit. They followed his blue Chevy truck, which had been reported for reckless driving. His car crossed yellow lines. Um, the police were put the lights on and he drove through a red light and refused to stop. Um, they, they went all over the place. They put spike, the bike's trips out and the front, tyres on the truck blew out and it then hit a fire hydrant. He jumps out of his truck and this is... Is he naked this time? No, but there's something definitely... Apparently, this is a literal quote from the police report. He jumped out of his truck and began to chew vigorously on his left wrist. Again, he refused commands, got back in his truck, even though it had crashed into this fire hydrant... And he managed to drive off. I think one of the symptoms of... Now, I don't know if he's doing meth again, but you hear about people on meth, they pick. It's yeah. because they think that like, there's bugs or something crawling underneath them, so they pick like their face, their skin, their arms, and he's probably had it in his wrist. So that's how a lot of them get sort of the scarring from it. Yeah. Well, if something was going on. That, that You ended up with two police forces chasing him over various county lines, and they, they eventually managed to stop him. And he was only charged with criminal recklessness and resisting law enforcement. So, he, but he was he was kept in for a few days. 
July the 31st, 2014, 10 days after this pursuit, he was released on a $500 bond. This bond was posted by his girlfriend, Tammy Jo Blanton, who he'd started dating in the spring of 2014. Roughly six weeks later, he will be arrested and charged in the final murder case, which is the one most people will know him by. So as I said, he's released on bail. Tommy Joe had had enough. They hadn't been dating that long, but somehow or another, he'd ended up living at her house. He had told her about his past, but he was vague and said he was a kid and it was all behind him. And she had thought she'd loved him, but she'd started to get suspicious. Her friends were even more suspicious of him. Um, he'd started to monitor, monitor her friendships. He was um, adding herself, him to her Facebook and commenting when anybody commented on any of her Facebook posts. And it was just controlling behaviours. And her friends then started doing some digging and they found out his history and they told her. They told her his real past, not the sanitised version that he had told her. And she got scared. His behaviour towards her had begun to change completely. He'd started to become violent as well as controlling. And she told him that he had to move out and he wasn't allowed to visit her house anymore. On Monday the 8th of September, Tammy arrived at work in the morning. She told co-workers that she'd been held prisoner in her own home all weekend. Joseph Oberhansley had kept her tied up and sexually assaulted her multiple times. On that Monday morning, she was able to convince him that she had to go to work, that saying that people would be suspicious if she didn't turn up. And she, was, she told her co-workers she'd been sexually assaulted all weekend and she was terrified of going home. Obviously, they rallied around her and gave her some good advice and she ended up staying at a friend's house for the next few nights in order to avoid Joseph and she wasn't willing to risk return, returning home while he was still there. Why hadn't she gone to the police? A lot of people don't. They, they, they have. They don't think they can be get. They can do anything because it's a domestic situation. A lot of people still have that. Yeah, but you can say this person has a part as a criminal history. They've got a past. They've spent an entire weekend, literally imprisoning me and assaulting me. Maybe, maybe she just wanted him to disappear in a puff of smoke, never have to see him again, never have to deal with any of it again. Maybe. Yeah. So she texted when she was at her friend's house. She texted Oberhansley to let him know that their relationship was permanently over. She says, "I'm not coming home." No one gets to terrify me and I will never forget or forgive. And he, again, this is where talking about this, his behaviours, he said he texted her back, and this is a quote, Baby, we had a great dinner Saturday. Don't let the negative enter your mind. You are my soul, mate. Come to me, please. Come home. Talk to me, baby. I think Tammy Jo realised, you know, this wasn't going to get any better, but she go back to her house. He'd packed up and left, as far as she knew. And she'd had her dad change the locks. 3am, September the 11th, 2014, Tammy Jo calls the police and told them that Joseph Overhansley was trying to break into her house. Police arrive and he agrees to leave. Tammy Jo didn't show up for the work the next day friend called her and got a man claiming to be a guy called John she didn't know who the heck she was so she called again and this same man answered the phone and said he was Tammy Jo's brother using her phone and that she was with her parents the friend 
didn't believe a word of it and asked the police to do a welfare check. So the police went to the house. They discovered signs of forced entry on the back door. But hammering on the door, Joseph Oberhansley answered it and said Tammy Joe wasn't home. But he had a cut across his knuckles and just his general body language, they raised police suspicions. They searched him and found a knife in his pocket, and it's rarely mentioned, but they also found a brass knuckle duster too in his pocket, covered in blood and hair. They found Tammy Joe's body in a bathtub under a camping tent, just been sort of pitched over the top of her. The police also found a plate with what appeared to be skull bones and blood on it, as well as a, a skillet, a pan and a pair of tongs with blood on the handle. Joseph Oberhansley was arrested and charged with murder. Oh, I just remembered, you said there was a thing about cannibalism. I thought, why is there a skillet, tongs and salt, pepper, that kind of stuff? Yeah, mm. I just remembered. And this is where his behaviour is not making any sense. In police inter- now it's not making any sense. Well, that line got crossed ages ago. Yeah. In the police interview, he said that he'd stabbed her in the head, neck, and body, and then he'd cut her open with an electric saw, and removed part of her brain and ate it raw, then cooked and ate another section of her brain. That's how we get mad cow's disease by doing that, by eating the same species of, as you, as brain. That was bad English. We know what I mean. Eating the brain as the species you are is really bad. That's how if there are these things called prions, and they're, they're really bad for you. Don't do that. You can, humans can get it from eating monkey brains. Again, don't, don't do that. Well, he gets, it gets worse. He cut out her heart and ate part of that too, along with part of a lung. I don't know whether that was cooked or raw. Um, the autopsy I don't showed... I think it matters. Yeah. The autopsy showed that she'd been stabbed 25 times. Now, that to me says rage. And speculation, again, I'm thinking he couldn't deal with her rejection of him. Remember his... He thought his family were rejecting him in the beginning. So in police interviews, which were later replayed in court, were fascinating. And again, yeah. He confessed to breaking into Tammy Jo's home and mutilating her. But in the same interview, he told police that he'd been set up by two armed black men and he'd had to chase them out of Tammy Jo's home. He was asked why the men... um, had attacked him. He he claimed that they'd knocked him out cold and yet they'd stabbed Tammy Joe so many times. He had no answer. It was a crock of shit. And he obviously couldn't fabricate a tale on the fly. He didn't have one prepared either. He was just making it up in these interviews. He also told the police that he could hear Tammy Joe's thoughts and that she was <laughs> going to cut off his head. He also referenced Zeus, the god, and mentioned someone with an eye in his forehead. So, yeah, I'm thinking Cyclops, but anyway. So during the interview, he complained that his head tingled and he made odd statements such as, I'm electrifying now and the gates are sealed. The, I, I wonder if that's when he's saying he's electrifying now, whether that's some form of almost a convulsion with his, um, because of the bullet in the brain and this, this lead leaching thing which is exactly where I went to because the, what, doing the research into the lead poisoning it's the it's terminology used, of the, I'm electrifying yeah, the tingling yeah, yeah they said it, in the lead poisoning it came up with hands and feet but he's saying his head's tingling well, it might just be more typical hands and feet it might be 80% that happens but it, well it, his lead absorption method's not the norm is it it's in his head yeah, yeah so it's probably doing more damage not, not only has he literally got a 
a part of his brain missing. He's also got a bullet left in it. So he kept all this odd behaviour up on the stand and always claimed his innocence. So this all happened in 2014. It takes six years to get to a final trial due to all sorts of shenanigans. At one court hearing, there are always lots of them for various reasons pre-trial. Joseph Overhansley told the judge, police had the wrong man. His name, he said, was Zeus Brown. And he claimed to know neither his age nor his citizenship. The Utah Department of Corrections, however, actually have him as aliases uh, of ghost and bullet. I mean, that's original, isn't it? So, 2016, the trial gets pushed back a year to allow his defence team more time to prepare. His defence attorneys um, had Oberhansley undergo evaluations by three court-appointed psychologists and psychiatrists. In October 2017, the trial judge ruled that Oberhansley wasn't currently competent to stand trial and she ordered him committed to a mental health uh, and addiction facility, which to bring him up to competency so he could be tried at a later date. They found him, eventually found him, that he was competent, and judges ruled in 2018 that he's fit to stand, stand trial and schedules the case. The trial starts in 2019, and a mistrial was declared. declared. A prosecution witness talked about Oberhansley's criminal history and drug use on the stand. This was actually the friend that Tammy Jo had stayed with when she'd first left her house. Um, And she'd been told not to mention any of that, but still did. And the judge didn't have much of a choice and had to call a mistrial because it was prejudicial. You know, they weren't allowed to say it. The prosecution also took the death penalty off the table at that point in 2019. They said that they didn't feel that there was a good chance of conviction due to the mental health issues and it would also save a million dollars on trial costs. Tammy Joe's family were in agreement as they felt a life without parole was a better chance of conviction than the death penalty mm. uncertainty. The weird bit was that Oberhansley didn't want any mental health defence being raised and he said that such a defence would be an admission of guilt. He kept firing his lawyers too and saying that they were... That's never a good sign. Whenever they do that, they, they think it's the lawyer's fault. They're not doing good enough rather than your... Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said they were trying to control him and probably I think they were probably just trying to make sure he didn't open his mouth and convict himself. The defence also tried to get that behaviour in as showing he was mentally insane as it was described by a psychiatrist as insertion thinking. His lawyers were putting thoughts directly in his head, he claimed, but he was stronger than they were and he was able to fight them off. So he had to go back again to this mental facility to be again ruled as competent. 11th of September 2020, exactly six years to the day from when Tammy Jo was murdered. The second trial is started. This time, Joseph is charged with murder, rape, and burglary. And this is where even more tapes are played. And again, fascinating, but also creepy. On these tapes, Oberhansley tells the investigators that the house that he's at was his house, and that Tammy Jo lives with her father and sometimes friends from work. He said he didn't know where she was and he hadn't seen her for two days. Tammy Jo, as I said, stayed with that friend on the Monday and Tuesday and then told other friends that he had raped her the previous weekend. 
Testimony also showed that Joseph Oberhansley had actually gone to her work on the Tuesday to try and get to see her, even though he'd been told get out and leave. During these interviews, these police interviews, a police officer says to him, so you don't know Tammy's dead? And Oberhansley said, that's the first I've heard of it. But didn't he say before that these two armed black men came in and mm -hmm. knocked him out and then stabbed her? Yep. He also said in this same interview um, that he thought that these guys were planning to cut off his head and eat his brain. Yeah. He then said that Tammy Joe had set him up. He can all, he's also, on this tape, heard saying that he had removed and eaten part of her brain, cooked a portion since she was already dead, and yet he maintained still that it was these two other guys that had killed her. So why he would... This is the first time that someone has used diminished mental capacity in one of these episodes that we've been doing. And I thought, that's quite legit, actually. I, I, it wasn't, it's not only doing the meth from a young age, getting a bullet to the brain and surviving. I, I, I think he is the only one so far that I would agree with. But he absolutely categorically doesn't want... Yeah, because he thinks there's an admission of guilt somehow. Yeah. But I guess, I guess it kind of is by saying, I did it because I've got diminished mental capacity. So it is kind of like admitting it. And he just wants to be free. Admit, he wants to people to consider that he didn't do it when he quite clearly did. Yeah. But why? Okay, two guys have broken in. They've knocked you out. They've attacked and stabbed and killed your girlfriend. You wake up. These guys have gone. And you. And she's in the bath with a tent over half eaten. Yeah, and well, no, you 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 dismember her and you cook part of her and you eat it. And what part? It of wasn't rational, him, bro. It wasn't him, bro. It was the other one. They asked Oberhansley about her other organs. Where's Tammy's heart? I ate it. It's part of me now. And yet he denied saying all of that on the stand. He's saying he was confused as he'd been knocked out and he didn't know what. Who had eaten what parts of her? They should have said something like, and what about a foot? Did you eat a foot? And he'd be like, nah, I ate a heart and the lungs, but not a foot. And they go, ah, psych, she's still got all of mm. her feet. Okay, so 13th of October, 2020, he's found guilty. He's sentenced to life without parole, and he plans to appeal. He got six years on that burglary charge too, but he was found not guilty on the rape charge. The prosecution evidence was somewhat problematical. The pathologist couldn't confirm... Well, problematical, couldn't... is that a word? You yeah. Do you mean problematic? No, what well, problematical is another word. Is that a word? Yes. Is that a word? Yes. Why am I suddenly... I'm not getting into that one. The pathologist couldn't convince the jury that sperm didn't have to be present internally for there to have been raped. There wasn't any sperm internally, but there was, was some externally, and that the pathologist, again, couldn't convince them that injuries are not always present. And there's a surprisingly large amount of cases where there isn't always injuries, which are actual genuine rapes. The defence claimed anything that was there was consensual and it happened that evening before Tammy Jo had called the police and she'd let him in, which is completely contradictory to everybody else saying she wouldn't have let him anywhere, you know, near her. And Occam's razor suggests that, yeah. I mean, he did it. But. So now we wait, I guess, um, see if he does appeal. Oh, it's still not over. No. Oh, for fuck. <laughs> and see if it's dragged out further. I'm not sure on what grounds he could appeal. I did find mention of his attorneys trying to use at the final trial. They mentioned schizophrenia. They called it the elephant in the room. 
but I can't find any mention of a psychiatrist confirming that although in the early competency hearings they said he was showing schizophrenic signs, which are not the same thing. There were also mentioned that when he was taken first to that first mental facility, he was having to be forcibly, forcibly injected with medication. And that is apparently very unusual. It seems that only 5% actually have to be forced. Most of them willingly will take meds. Yeah, I think because they know that if they comply, they'll either get out or it might help them. Exactly. But there'll be a small percentage of people that think no. Yeah. So I don't know with this one whether it's mental illness, self-induced from that partial lobotomy he gave himself, or even slow poisoning from that lead bullet still lodged in his brain. The fact that they let him out after 12 years on his first sentence is interesting. I think some of the thought would have been they had three years to keep an eye on him. If they'd let him out after the full 15, nobody could have done anything about any bad behaviour. But when he did misbehave, they didn't deal with him. So he would have absolutely known the dates he had to abide by. So I don't know whether he was playing the system, knowing full well that they couldn't probably touch him. As well, though, he went away when he was 17, 18, maybe 19, because if it took two years. Yeah. You'd like to think that the 12 years in prison... Well, to be fair, 12 years in prison, he wouldn't have done much reform. He, he got prison tattoos, probably got involved, probably was around other people that were bad themselves and that probably added to the, the And character. the drugs. And the drugs yeah. that likely he was probably still on when he was in there. Yeah. Um, so if, it, he's obviously... If someone shoots themselves in the head, the psychiatrist said he'd given himself a partial lobotomy, you would have thought, or I would have thought, that somebody would have been keeping an eye on him. You'd like to think so, think you, so but unfortunately he's probably failed by the system. Yeah. Or the system just doesn't provide that for whatever reason. He had issues way, way before anger. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't have guessed after he shot people and it, then himself yeah. and then ate someone. I think he, he's always going to be a danger. and I don't think he should ever come out. Whether he serves his time in a mental institution or a prison, I think people are always going to be safer if this guy's kept locked up. Yeah, I'm very pro-reform, but I think when someone's repeatedly presented themselves with such behaviour, you think that, no, that's not... But also that. as well, we've talked about this lead poisoning with this bullet in the brain. The fact they can't remove the bullet from the brain. Is the lead poisoning going to get worse mm. and then his behaviour deteriorates even further? Yeah. He's going to have less and less inhibitions... Um, and if he if he did get let out, what's he going to do then? Because yeah. he's, he's only in his thirties now, so he's just supposing he served twenty years. He's going to be in his fifties. He's still perfectly capable of doing an enormous yeah. amount of damage yeah. to other people, as well as probably to himself again. I mean, yeah. And that is the case of Joseph Oberhansley and the murders of two women who unfortunately got entangled with him: Sabrina Elder and Tammy Joe Blanton. Thank you for listening and we look forward to sharing another case with you next week. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MurderMeOnMondayPodcast and email us at MurderMeOnMondayPodcast at gmod.com. Once again, like, favourite, subscribe, do all that good stuff and we'll see you next time. Much love. Peace.